Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our series about Jonah. In this series, we dive into his book and discover how Jonah's story sometimes mirrors our own. And now here's Pastor Reed with the final part of this series. We have been tracking through the book of Jonah, and I love Jonah. It's one of my favorite books. It's a short book, but I love the book of Jonah because every single one of us can intersect our story with his. Because every single person in the room tonight has run from God, I I would wager, at some point in our past and or our present. And we may not run from God holistically. It may not be like I'm overtly, openly running from God. It may be like a, a, a secretive thing where I'm just running from one aspect of his will. Right, like I'm 90% gods, I'm 95% gods, but I'm going to hold on to this 5% because I really like this part of me. But everybody in the room is run at some point in our past and or our present. And, and so that's why we can relate with Jonah. Now Jonah, if you remember, he, he, he's this uh, prophet of the Lord. He's supposed to go to Nineveh, a very wicked city, and tell them that God, whom they don't believe in because they're an atheist city, why don't you go into this city and tell them to stop their wickedness? If they don't stop their wickedness, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to judge the city. Well, Jonah doesn't like that plan, so he runs away from God, and he actually goes the exact opposite direction. He's supposed to go east to Nineveh. He goes west to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. There's a huge storm that comes up, a huge tempest that comes up on the boat. They figure out that Jonah's the cause of the storm, so they throw Jonah overboard. These sailors throw Jonah overboard. He lands in the water, swallowed by a great fish or a whale. And he's in the belly of that fish for three days, and he prays last week this incredible prayer of repentance. In Jonah chapter 2, we looked at that last week, this incredible prayer of repentance, saying, God, what, what am I doing? I'm sorry. I repent. And this fish vomits Jonah back onto dry land, and he's given another opportunity. And there's a couple of lessons that we've learned thus far as we just kind of review. There's a couple of lessons that we've learned is that you can run from God. Everybody in the room can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You cannot outrun God. He is a father, and he's going to continue to pursue his children until he finds his children. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. And the other lesson that we learned last week is that because God is love, and God is love. 1 John 4 says that God is love. He embodies love, and love comes from God. God is the personification of love. God is love, and because God is love, his discipline sometimes is thorough. Oftentimes is thorough. His discipline is thorough because God is love. I love my kids. I have two boys, a six-year-old and a four-year-old named Zach and Jack, and I love my kids a lot, and it's because I love them that I discipline them. And I discipline them because I want them to associate pain with rebellion, pain with rebellion, because they don't like pain, and so if they associate pain with rebellion, then they're not going to want to rebel because they're going to associate that with pain. And so sometimes God allows us to be disciplined in a way that goes way beyond us teaching us a lesson, way beyond that, so that we'll associate rebellion with pain, and we won't want to run from God again. So that's what we've learned thus far. And if the story ended there, we could have put a big red happy bow on this and say, wow, that's awesome. Jonah gets a second chance. God extends the same opportunity to him. He says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh after he's been vomited. I'm sorry, that's, the, that's, that's NIV, baby. Uh, <laughs> vomited back onto the land. That was kind of graphic. And uh, he says, why don't you go to Nineveh and tell them to repent or I'm going to judge them. And this time, Jonah obeys the word of the Lord. Again, we can stop there. That's a great story. And that, again, tells me that God did not do this to pay Jonah back, but he did this to win Jonah back. And when we're disciplined, it's not to pay you back for the sins that you had. It's to win you back to, to his fellowship. To say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to love you all the rest of my days. I want you to be the Lord or the master of my life. 
And again, we could stop right there, but tonight the message is for those of us in the room who might be good people. Might be good people, okay? I, I don't know if you've ever done this. I, I, I talked about two weeks ago running away from home. And I ran away, there was, there was this field, and it was on the end of this cul-de-sac, and we would go down there, and there was this creek, and most times it was dry, but when we had a good rainstorm, like what we've had in central Texas recently, it would fill up, and we'd take rocks or pebbles, and we'd skip those rocks down the creek bed, see how far we could get them to go. And every once in a while, we would take one of those big, huge rocks, you know what I'm talking about, just a big rock, couldn't skip that thing, but we'd take it, and we would throw it just to create this big splash in the creek, you ever done that where you're taking a big, big rock and it looks really pretty on the outside and you pick it up and it's like, ooh, <laughs> you know, like spiders and worms and creepy crawly things. And you're like, ooh. well, tonight we're going to pick up the big C American church and we're going to look underneath and go, because there's some things, <laughs> I don't know if it's happening at Christian Life Church, but in the big C church, there's some things going on that I think are, are limiting our ability to reach those far from God. So we're going to talk about that tonight, just be open and honest. It's for the people in the room that think they're good people. Jonah was a good person. He was a prophet of the Lord, for crying out loud. He loved God, but he had some issues. So we're going to work through some of those tonight. Here's the point of Jonah. Whereas many of us are good people, and we've surrendered to the moral will of God, we've surrendered to the moral will of God in our lives. We, it wouldn't be atypical for us to be in the Bible for us to memorize some of its pages, for us to be in church. I was on church, at church on time tonight, Reed. That's good. <laughs> it's not out of the ordinary for you to be praying or singing worship songs to Jesus. You've submitted to the moral will of God. But you have not yet submitted to the global purposes of God in your life. There's a difference. We can be a good person submitted to the moral will of God. I've got the Ten Commandments down pat. I haven't murdered anybody in months. You got that down pat, but the global purposes of God, you're not quite surrendered to those just yet. And it's a chance for us to take a difficult look in a mirror and see if there's any ooh in you, okay? I think it's one of the primary reasons the local church has been marginalized in America. So we're going to go to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to look through the last two chapters of this book quickly tonight. Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have your word, it's okay. The scriptures will be on the screens. You can also open up version Bible app. Uh, and go to the live event there and follow along. Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Now we don't know if this is the city of Nineveh or the province of Nineveh. But regardless, it took a long time to go through Nineveh. Several days that he's going to have to go through Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that God has given him. Repent of your wicked ways. Repent of your violence. Or God is going to bring judgment on this city. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaimed 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I'm going to explain that in a minute. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Okay, sackcloth is a sign of mourning. So the whole city is in this repentance, sign of mourning. We're fasting. It's a, it's, it's a citywide fast. Everybody repent before the Lord. Now I read that and I go, really? Did that really happen? That doesn't make any sense. Here's a people that did not believe in God. And you have this crazy man walk in the street and say, everybody repent. And everybody believes in God. Starts putting on sackcloth and fasting. 
Well, here's where some extra biblical material helps us a little bit. This is not in the Bible, but this is in other historical documents. There's some things going on that helps me understand the situation a little bit better. At this, at this very time, there were three tribes that were converging on Nineveh all at the same time. They're about 100 miles away, and the king of Nineveh knows this. So he knows there's three tribes that are converging on the city. They're about 100 miles out. And so he may be thinking to himself, well, if God's going to destroy us, that may be how he intends to do it. So he's processing that. Also at that time, just recently, there was this solar eclipse. And anytime there was a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse or anything with celestial beings, that caught people's attention. They paid more attention to that, way more than we do. And so that had everybody kind of on, on Walking on eggshells. At the same time, there have been two major plagues in Nineveh in the last five years. Two major plagues in Nineveh in the last five years. On top of that, you have this crazy guy. I'm reading into the story a little bit. But you have this crazy guy, Jonah, who's walking around. And I just get this feeling that if Jonah was in this fish for three days, and he gets out, and he probably hadn't even showered. He smells like seaweed and stinky fish. And he probably doesn't have a care in the world. I mean, he was in a fish who just vomited him, okay? So he's walking around going, hey, repent! I mean, it's just this crazy man walking up and down the streets, and they're going, you know, he might have something to say. <laughs> this guy may not be crazy. So they're piecing all this together, and so they're all concerned that maybe, just maybe, God is real, and God is going to judge us. So they all start repenting. They put on this sign of mourning, this sackcloth, and they fast, and they say, let's call on the name of the Lord. In fact, look at verse 7. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. We're fasting. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What we're going to find out in these next few verses is Jonah gets really upset at God. And we find out the reason, we're going to find out in the next couple of verses, we're going to find out the reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. It wasn't because he was afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. Yes, they were a murderous people. Yes, they were a violent people. Yes, they practiced in witchcraft and idolatry and they hated God. Yes. But it wasn't because of what he feared the Ninevites would do to him. But he feared what God would do for the Ninevites. It wasn't what he feared what Ninevites would do to him. He feared what God would do for the Ninevites. And that's why Jonah didn't want to go. In fact, in verse 1, it says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He, was, he said, You didn't give them what they deserve. These are the enemies of your people. And God's like, yes, you're my people, but everybody's my people. <laughs> so I'm going to relent because they repented, and that's what I asked them to do. This is where the mirror comes up on us, and we may have our Bible in our hands and a song in our voices, and yet are we really, really committed to the global purposes of God? We might see a side of us that's a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to keep reading in chapter 4. And, and I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm okay if you don't believe this to be true. I'm okay with that. And some of you, that, this is a really, really tough story to swallow. Okay, pun totally intended. It's a tough one. It's a miracle in the Bible. But this is another reason I believe this to be true. Because if I was writing the book of Jonah, I would just stop there. 
I would just stop, I would stop after verse 10 in chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. End of story. That'd be a great book. Everybody go, oh, that's a good book. I like that. I like old Jonah. But chapter 4, we see a really negative side of Jonah. And I wouldn't want to put that in there if I'm writing Jonah. If I'm making this story up, I would not include chapter 4. So again, it was another reason for me to go, I think this really happened. I believe 100% that this, this happened, and that's when we see chapter 4. So let's just let's keep going. Verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, that is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So there you have it. Jonah's saying, that's why I didn't want to go. I knew that you're a, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. You're a compassionate. You're gracious. You're kind. You're forgiving. You're loving. You're merciful. I knew that, and that's why I didn't want to go. Jonah is wrestling with this internally saying, I knew that you would re- release them of their sin, that you would, you would forgive them. I knew that you were going to do this. And by the way, let me just say this for those in the room. This one's just for free. If you're in the room today and you feel like that you've gone past God's forgiveness and past God's grace, you haven't. You haven't. You haven't. These people practiced idolatry and witchcraft and prostitution, and they killed people regularly all the time. They got gold medals for murder. They're really good at it. And yet God forgave them, extended grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. He he gave that to them, and he'll give that to you. He'll give that to you. And I also love how people say, sometimes they say, well, the God of the Old Testament is really angry and vengeful and wrathful for God. And I like the God of the New Testament because he's love and peace and compassion and mercy. And I always point them to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that you serve today is the same God of the New Testament, is the same God of the Old Testament. The God in the Old Testament was also abounding in love. He was slow to anger. He was compassionate. He was gracious. And he was merciful. That's really good stuff. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> Jonah's problem was this. Jonah was surrendered to the law of God. He's a good guy. He's a prophet of the Lord. He was surrendered to the moral will of God, but he wasn't surrendered to the purposes of God. And consequently, he became very judgmental. Before I became a part of Christian Life Church, I actually moved to Austin. I was in Austin. I moved away, and I moved back in July of 2012. The purpose of me moving back, I was going to start a church in, in the 04 zip code. And so we started this church. And uh, the purpose of the church, we really wanted to reach people that were far from God. So if we would meet somebody and they'd say, oh, I go to Christian Life Church. Or, hey, I go to Bannockburn Baptist Church or One Chapel or wherever. I'd say, that's awesome. You keep serving there. We really try to re- reach people that were de-churched or unchurched. People that were not attending elsewhere that were far from God. It's just kind of a slow growth process. But when we meet these people, I'd say, why did you stop going to church, or why don't you like the church? I get three responses, most typical. The three responses were, and you've heard the first one, is that this church is boring, which is not boring at CLC, amen? <laughs> it's boring that the church is full of hypocrites, and the church is judgmental. Those are the three things that I get most often. And, and I see that now. I see how Jonah, we can become very judgmental people, and, and the way that we become judgmental We don't mean to become judgmental. The way we become judgmental is become very, very good people. And yet we're not surrendered to what God is doing in the lives of those who are not as good as us according to the moral standards that we are living by. Let me say that again. 
We become judgmental people when we're very, very good people, but we don't surrender ourselves to what God is doing in the lives of other people who are not as good as us according to our moral standard compass. That's what happens. And, 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 and again, I don't think it's intentional, but we do that, and we become judgmental. And then I'm talking to people trying to bring them to church, and they don't want to be any part of church. Because sometimes the big C, again, maybe not Christian Life Church, but big C church, we have a problem with this. We think we're better than other people, so we forget to love and care and pray for other people. The reason people say that, that the church is just mental is they've, become, they've come into contact, constant contact with Christians who are really good at being good, but have forgotten why God sent his son into the world in the first place. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. That's why Jesus Christ came. And a lot of us forget where we were, that at one point in our life we needed a God who was abounding in love and rich in mercy and gracious and compassionate and loving and kind. Because we were headed in the same direction that these people in Nineveh were. We were headed for destruction and judgment. and That's where we were headed. And God loved us and shined his grace on us. And we forget that. And we forget there are other people in the world that need that same grace and love and mercy that he wants to extend to them as well. If you surrender to the will of God, but never fully surrender to the purposes of God, I think we can all set ourselves up to become judgmental. Most of us are here today, if we're honest, most of us are here today because somebody, husband, wife, brother, sister, best friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, somebody, co-worker, extended that abounding in love, rich in mercy, grace, compassion to you. And you thought, wow, they don't judge me. They love me. And they go to this church. So I'm going to go to this church and check this whole thing out. Most of us are here because somebody wasn't judgmental for us. And I just... I don't, I don't get that from this church at all. But I'm sure there are isolated incidents in every church where we can forget that pretty easily. Look at verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's funny to me. That's just funny. Is it right for you, Jonah? You? You remember a couple weeks ago? You ran from me. I gave you a directive, and you went the exact opposite direction. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Really? We're going we're gonna to do this? Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what, happened, what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. That's funny. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. If you've ever been in this part of the world, in the Middle East, get that eastern wind. It is hot. It is really, really hot. I love how the entire book of Jonah is God sending. God sending a storm. God sending a fish. God sending a plant. God sending a worm. God sending in this east wind. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. <laughs> Jonah's like Debbie Downer on Saturday Night Live. I want to die. You know, it's just, that makes me laugh. <laughs> but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, in other words, they're like children, 
and also many animals. That's the end of the book. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of an odd place to end a book. It's not a very good literary style, if I might say so myself. Like, I feel like Jonah should say something, and then God should say something, and then Jonah should say something, and then we're good. But no, this is how it ends. And should I not have concern from the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I want to just drop the mic, Mitch, and just walk off. <laughs> See you Sunday. That's such a weird way to end a book. Here's the point. He says, Jonah, you're concerned about the wrong stuff, man. Jonah, what are you concerned about? Plant. I like that plant. I'm concerned about this generation of people. Jonah, what are you concerned about? That wind is hot. I want shade. I'm concerned about this generation of people, Jonah. Read. What are you concerned about? God, have you been on Mopac? It's awful. Oh, they got that construction. They got to get down to 55. I can't get to anywhere on time. I got an amen in the, in the balcony. <laughs> you know what I'm concerned about, Reed? This generation of people. Reed, what are you concerned about? The rain. We don't get enough and my yard turns yellow and we get too much and it floods. You know what I'm concerned about, Reed? That barista that you visit, that coffee shop. We're concerned about the wrong things. Put another way, is what, what do you get angry about? You know when I get angry? When I don't get my way. And Jonah got angry when things didn't go his way. That gourd grew, and he was good, he was happy, and then the gourd was gone, and he was mad. And the east wind comes, and he's mad. I just want to die. What are we concerned about? What are you passionate about? What do you get ang- what angers you? I think about it, Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 4. I love this. Paul Paul says, "I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit." In other words, he said the same thing three times. He says, "Listen, what I'm fixing to tell you is going to sound like a lie, but I'm not lying. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying." My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He said the same thing three times. I know it's what's going to sound. It's going to sound like a farce, but it's not. I'm telling you the truth. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my, in my heart that I might be cut off from Christ, cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He says, I know this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not a joke. I, I love people so much. I want them to know Jesus so badly that I would cut myself off from Christ. I would cut myself, I would curse myself. I would send myself to hell if they would all get it. And this isn't like a lie. I mean, I, I'm literally, I have great sorrow. I have unceasing, never stopping, never giving up anguish in my heart. I can't sleep at night because all I'm concerned about is the people of my own race, the people of Israel who need Jesus. That's what I'm concerned about. When was the last time you had any unceasing anguish about anybody who was lost? Are we concerned about the things that God is concerned about? We need, there are people in your circles of influence that you work with and that you live beside that need Jesus that are far from God. Have you ever had great sorrow, unceasing anguish that they're going to bed tonight and they're not, they don't share the same destiny you do? 
They need Jesus. Randy, come help me. When I came here, that was, that was my purpose. I was going to be a missionary, but not in Africa or Asia or South America, but in Austin. I wanted to tell people about Jesus in this city. 1.8 million people in this city. And well over 1.2 million, according to a study done by Ed Stetzer, 1.2 million do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And of the 600,000 that say that they do, I, I would wager that some of them probably grew up with Christian beliefs. They still believe that, but they're not actively involved in a serving, loving, growing church. And we need to be their missionaries. We need to be concerned about this generation of people because that is what God is concerned with. We may be surrendered to the moral will of God, but are you surrendered to the global purposes of God? And so I just encourage you, as we're leaving here tonight, I would just encourage you to share your faith. Now, I know that's a huge thing for me to say. And you say, well, that's that's something pastors do. No, that's something all of us do. Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded with you, you and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So that's comforting. I don't have to do this on my own. I have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in me and through me to speak to them about him. That's really, really comforting. And, and it may be just as simple as saying, hey, I would love for you to come with me to Christian Life Church. That may be the invitation. That may be your, your, your first and only that's okay. I'll take it. Come to Christian Life Church. I'll buy you dinner. Come to Christian Life Church. There are pretty girls there. I don't care why you bring them here. I don't really care. Just get them here. Maybe you would be a little bit more bold and you'd start to share your faith. Share your story of grace and how God rescued you and how God, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was a porn addict, and now I'm not. I once was an alcoholic, and now I'm not. My marriage was in trouble, and now we're thriving. God rescued me. Share your story of grace. One of my favorite things to do in conversations, this is a really good one. You can steal this. It's fine. One of my favorite things to do in conversations, I'll go to lunch with somebody, and we'll just start talking, and I'll ask this question. I'll say, do you ever think about spiritual things? It's really easy. You ever think about spiritual things? I've never one time, not ever, had somebody say no. Because people are, they're thinking about it all the time. We just don't give them an invitation to talk about it with you. We'll talk about going to the gym, we'll talk about what we're reading, we'll talk about what we're watching, we'll talk about the weather. Why don't we talk about the things that really matter? To say, do you ever think about spiritual things? And what's fun, if they say no, you just go, oh, well how about the weather, huh? It's rained a lot lately. You know, you just go on, no big deal. But they won't, they'll say, I do. And that may something, say something that's crazy, and that's okay. You just play with that and pray the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in that conversation. We have to be concerned about this generation of people. We have to be concerned about this generation of people. I'm going to close with this story. I had a, a, a buddy that, um, he's still my buddy. His name's Will. And I met Will. We watched a football game together. We threw a little party at the apartment com- complex we used to live at. And uh, we watched a UT football game. And he came. He doesn't even like sports, but he was desperate for community. So he came. And I said, hey, man, you want to go to lunch? Yeah, let's go to lunch. So we're going to lunch. <laughs> and he said, hey, I never caught. What do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, I'm an atheist. <laughs> Is that your profession? Or I don't, I don't, <laughs> it's okay. And I said, all right, man. And he goes, I'm a pretty strong atheist. Like, you know who Bill Maher is? Yes, I know who Bill Maher is. I'm like Bill Maher. Okay. I, I didn't know what that meant. Okay, pretty staunch atheist. 
He said, don't try to convert me. This is the first time we're hanging out. Okay, man, I got you. So with him, I was a little, I was a little bit hesitant. It just depends, right? You just, you'll know. You'll feel it. This is the time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, uh, do not live as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. You'll know when that opportunity is there, and you'll live as wise. And you'll... So I said, you know what? If I talk about Jesus today, he's going to run. Because he just said, don't try to convert me. So I'm not going to say anything about Jesus. Six months later, we've been hanging out, going to lunch regularly, come over, we'd watch some movies. Six months later, we go to lunch, and we're talking about his parents. And I said, man, you always talk about your mom. You always talk about your mom. They live in Michigan. And I said, what about your dad? I never hear anything about your dad. And he starts to well up with tears. He said, I'm worried about my dad. He said, my dad just lost his job. And when I talked to him on the phone, he sounds like he's suicidal. And that Holy Spirit prompted me. And I said, okay. I said, let me tell you something. I can relate with you. Because when I was 12 years old, my father committed suicide. And I know what that's like. And it was, he lost his job. And pride began to sink in. I just began to minister. here, And, and then I just kind of kept going with it, you know. And I said, but you know why I stand here today and why we're friends and why I'm here in Austin? is because I'm trying to tell people about Jesus Christ, who's my heavenly father. And I said, I know you told me the very first time, Will, that we, we ever went to lunch. I said, you told me, do not try to convert me. And I said, listen, if you never get converted to Christianity, I'm okay with that. That's not going to change how I feel about you. Now, I'm not really okay with that. Like, I want him to be converted. But at the same time, it's not going to change how I feel about Will. I love Will. He's my friend. So I said, it's not going to change how I feel about you, whether you're converted or not. But I said, I would be a really bad friend if I believed that the possibility of everlasting life existed. And I didn't tell you about that. And I said, brother, I would whether you reject me on earth, then if this is all real, you get to heaven and stand before God and go, wow, I hung out with Reed so many times and he never one time told me about Jesus Christ. I said, I'd rather you reject me now than reject me then. I said, brother, I love you. And I said, I don't care if you ever are converted, which is a lie. I do care. But that doesn't change our friendship. I said, but I have to tell you. And so I shared grace. And I shared that Jesus Christ died for my sins and for your sins. And that by putting my faith in him, you can have abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. That he's done enough. You don't have to do anything, Will. That he has forgiven you. That in him, you can have the righteousness of God. You stand before God and he doesn't see all the mistakes you made. But he sees the right standing of his son. And so I shared all this with him, and he's got tears welling up in his eyes, and we start talking. I can't say that, that he came to faith that day. But the next day, guess who called me? Will. Is that you want to go hang out? Yeah, let's go hang out. And today, Will's not an atheist. Hang on. He's agnostic. <laughs> So we went from there's no God, and he said verbally, he goes, ah, there might be something. I'm oh, there's, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. There might be something. You can pray for Will. You can pray for Will. He's coming to faith. Praise Jesus, he's coming to faith eventually. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it and receive it. I want us to be a church that's concerned about this generation of people. Don't be concerned about the things that you're concerned about. Don't be concerned about the, don't get angry about Mopac, okay? And I'm right there with you. Let's be concerned about the people in our neighborhoods. If you've never had your neighbor over for dinner tonight, excuse me, tomorrow night, this weekend, be a great time to start. Hey, I know we've been neighbors for like, I don't know, seven years. 
and I'm sorry I've never made my way across the street, I'd love for you and your wife to come over and hang out. I may seem weird initially, but God's ordained the times and places that men should live, Acts 17. He puts you in that place for a purpose so that you would meet your will and you would bring your will into a relationship with him. God, when he called his first disciples, they were fishers. And he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. God may have placed you in someone else's life to be the preeminent fisher of men on their behalf. Somebody you work with, somebody you live beside, somebody you play with. Be concerned about the things God is concerned with. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody stand to your feet. We're done. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down. And here's here's how we're going to close it tonight. Here's how we're going to close this series out. I want to give you an opportunity to just respond to that, okay? Because I'm, I'm guilty too. There, there, are, there are times, there are seasons in my life that go by. I wish this was untrue. And I go, when was the last time I shared my faith with anybody? When was the last time I asked anybody if they ever think about spiritual things? When was the last time I shared my testimony, my story? I witnessed to somebody. Am I truly concerned? Do I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for those that are my people? in Austin, Texas, that need Jesus Christ in their lives. So I want to give you an opportunity for you to just confess that before the Lord. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. You'll find the healing you desire. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I own that. I've been concerned about plants (laughs) and east winds and not having shade. And Lord, I need to be concerned about the things you're concerned about. I've been surrendered to the moral will of God, but I've not been surrendered to the global purposes of God. And I need to take my neighborhood and my workplace a little more seriously for your kingdom, Lord. For your kingdom. For the advancement of your kingdom, Lord. There's no reason. This church is about 2,000 people strong every single week. And there's no reason this church can't have a huge impact in South Central Austin and Greater Austin as a whole. If everybody in this room shared their faith with five people, we would reach a whole lot of people. If everybody that comes on Sunday morning shared their faith with five people, we would reach 10,000 people in 2015. That's doable. That's doable. And of 10,000 that hear the gospel, that receive the gospel, how many of them will actually accept the gospel? Of 10,000, I like our chances. I like our chances. But we have to be concerned about the global purposes of God. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. We're just going to pray for you. Maybe you have another need that you want us to pray for. That's what we're here for. We love you. We want to pray for you. But the specific calling tonight is for you to submit and say, Lord, I want to be concerned about your global purposes. And I'm going to make a difference. Maybe there's a person that God is placing on your heart right now. There's a person, there's a neighbor, there's a coworker that God is placing on your heart right now. Just like Mitch did such a great job on Sunday, the enemy is going to steal and kill and destroy that. He is a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. He, he, he's a great deceiver. He will tell you, oh, don't do that. You're going to get rejected. You know what Luke 6, 22 and 23 says? Luke 6, 22 and 23 says, uh, rejoice in that day and leap for joy when we share our faith. We, blessed are you. So I said, blessed are you when men reject you, reject your name as evil, insult you. Because of me, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. So even if you're rejected, God says, I'll reward you. I'll reward you if you're rejected. So don't let the enemy tell you a lie. Oh, don't don't share your faith with him. That's weird. This is 2015. Just let everybody do their own thing. We have to be propelled by the belief that there's one way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, not a way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. 
And there are people that you do life with who don't know him. And we need to be concerned about them. Not that God would judge them as he wanted the Ninevites to be judged, but that God would save them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray all over this room. If you want to come down, you want to get special prayer, you want us to pray for you, Paul in Ephesians 6 prayed for boldness. I know this is tough. I know this is a huge task to say, I want to become a little bit more open with my faith. I want to try to start talking to people about Jesus. And I don't want to be just weird, but I want to be normal. I just want to be a guy that's talking about Jesus. But I need boldness. Paul prayed for boldness, and Paul was a pretty bold dude. It's okay for you to come and just say, will you pray for boldness for me? We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Let's worship him. Have you enjoyed Jonah? Jonah's such a great book. I love Jonah. And I hope like Jonah, we get it. We get it. We don't have to run from what God is calling us to do. To be concerned about this generation of people. I pray that even as we leave tonight, maybe make a phone call to somebody that God places on your heart. And say, hey, uh, love for you to come to church. And they probably won't come. And you'll have to invite them again. And they probably won't come. And you'll have to invite them again. Typically, typically it takes 7.6 times. 7.6 times for someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ before they receive it and accept it for themselves. You could be the first time. And you could be the 7.6 time. You never know if you're watering the plant or if you're planting the seed. But either way, go out there and sow. Go out there and sow. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for being here tonight. And that concludes today's message. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Austin ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast podcast. 